Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast, your favorite Value Investor podcast. My, <laughs> I tried a new new line there. And it didn't uh, work. <laughs> it didn't work at all. But that's okay. We're my just going to keep going. Okay, keep going. Let's move forward. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. How's it going? <laughs> Great to have you guys here. In this episode, we will continue our discussion on Five Below. It's a company that was suggested to us by one of our listener, one of our listeners, uh, who is also quite active in the Slack community. So if you guys want to get involved in the Slack channel, please email us and uh, we can get you invited to the community, get you plugged in here. Also, we are going through valuation checklists like we do for every company. And if you'd like to get a, ha- get a hold of uh, this checklist, please also email us at info at valueinvestor.org. All right. Let's get right to it, Hari. Oh, actually, before that, I forgot about the disclaimer. So could you give us a quick disclaimer before we get started? Yeah, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. Um, We are the podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. Uh, We are for educational purposes only. Um, Every company that we talk about here is, um, you know, to, to educate you. We are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with the appropriate advisor uh, before making any financial decisions. Okay, great. Let's get right to the question. The first question is, is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? So this question is really relevant um, based on the previous questions that we asked, um, which are really discussing in detail about the competitive advantage thinking about the capital reinvestment requirements and things like that. So um, if you guys haven't listened to the first episode, please do before you listen to this one. All right, let's get to this question. Is the company able to translate its moat into high returns on capital? Ari? Yeah, so the important thing that we, you know, when we always talk about profitability is looking at a company with the with the eye on how much money does it generate? So if I have a business that generates 15 cents for every dollar of revenue, right? Um, you know, or, or 15 cents for every dollar of equity that I, I have in the business. Um, well, a business that generates 30 cents for every dollar is better, right? Um, so, you know, you're looking at a company like Five Below, they have a pretty good return on equity of 23%, uh, which is, which is, very admirable for a business, right? Um, which is why this company reminded me a lot of Tractor Supply. Like Tractor Supply is not selling anything super uh, crazy, but has a very high return on capital of around 25%. Um, so those kind of businesses do very well. And when you look at it another way, which is their investment for uh, starting a store, as we talked about, was 300K uh, for the first year, and it generates about 1.8 million in revenue. So when you look at it, they generate their net profit margin is around nine percent. So for every dollar that they send, you know they spend, they get about nine cents in you know goes to the bottom line. You know, for, so dollar for revenue becomes nine cents in profit. Um, so that that kind of translates pretty well for you know one point eight million dollars in sales um, gets you around you know one hundred and sixty one hundred seventy thousand dollars in uh, profit for the year, right? So on a three hundred thousand dollar investment in about two years, less than two years, they're going to pay off that investment, right? That's a pretty good deal. Um, 
but you know that is based on you know and, and you would think okay with the with the high rate of return on capital um there is some moat to this business that protects them from uh the, um you know competitors right they're able to do something and generate a, a gener- generous profit off of it um you know when you compare that to Costco or Walmart their profit margins are much lower 2 or 3% right so clearly five below is making money uh here that um is is doing well for them so i think the answer here is yes they have a high return on capital um i am curious about the defensibility of the moat um and maybe i'm being too harsh on them for you know if they're able to generate profitability like that then you know there's clearly a moat here that i'm having trouble defining you know as strong so yeah okay let's let's go into the next section of the checklist which is the financials does a company have enough cash to maintain its business yeah so that's a that's an interesting question i i did not really look closely at how the you know we're now in the covid era which um you know has a has a different kind of uh world view really um, you know, for a lot of businesses. So um, up until a year ago, they didn't have any debt. Um, they took on about $900 million to expand uh, distribution centers and do um, other uh, growth capital initiatives. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see that debt being a real problem for them. I think their business will rebound and it'll be, a, uh, you know, coming back. But they have they have around $200 million in cash. Um, I don't know if they're still paying their workers or if they have uh, how much, you know, e-commerce is going to be able to sustain them for the next couple of months. Um, But I think they'll be okay, um, you know, going forward in a systemic shock environment. Mm -hmm. But also, since they just took on the debt, I imagine it's not going to be due for a while. So at least in the short term, in terms of the risk of bankruptcy, for example, you know, things like that, it sounds pretty minimal. At this point. Yeah, and I, I will say that um I was able to read the twenty eighteen um uh, fiscal year ten K. The twenty nineteen fiscal year uh ten K came out um in between the time that I read and the, the recording of this podcast. So um I only updated some of the items like the store count um and the latest uh financials, uh, but I didn't dig too deep into the debt um maturity. So I, okay. I'm not concerned to be honest with you, I'm just more interested in to see, you know, I think this company has enough resiliency that they're not going to, unless there's a super long prolonged uh, shutdown of the economy, I don't see it being a problem. Yeah. Do you have numbers specifically around the percentage of revenue coming from uh, online business? E-commerce? Uh, no. Okay. One thing that is interesting to always look at for retail business from what I've seen, like for example, uh, Canada Goose or Ulta, for example, or Skechers even, is that everyone is going to direct to consumer model and becoming omni-channel. And when you see these numbers come out and they tout that, oh, 50% growth, 60% growth year over year, but you're starting with a very small baseline. So going from 1 million to 2 million, even though it's 100% growth, it's, you know, it's small nonetheless so i i would this is just a general comment not specific to specific to five below um you know i would just caution that um you know from from 
taking that at, at face value. Yeah, and I, I think the interesting thing to me is Five Below's strength is not being an e-commerce store, right? It's being able to walk in, buy a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't otherwise buy that e-commerce sales doesn't really benefit you, right? Like you're not going in and seeing five other things that you would you end up picking up if, you know, and doing these impulse purchases when you buy stuff online. I mean, that's typically people's kind of behavior pattern. Um, so I will say that I like the, you know, you ha- you kind of almost have to have an e-commerce business uh, in this day and age, um, you know, to be competitive and to weather the storm. But I don't know that it's a competitive advantage for them. I think it's actually a detriment for them in some ways. That's a great point. Okay, I think we touched on this. Maintain reasonable level of debt. We talked about that. Um, let's talk about the third question within the financials, which is, can the company generate a strong amount of free cash flow from operations? Yeah, so they generated $175 million in net income. And you know, their their actual cash uh, property plant and equipment uh, or net property plant and equipment was greater than their net income. Um, but when you actually break it down, you can see that a lot of that was uh, due to um, a distribution center that they're building out. So a heavy capital outlay up front uh, in order to do that. Um, and then there was, you know, so what I what I kind of whittled down their maintenance capex to was around sixty million dollars. Um, and I didn't I didn't pick that number because that was something that I read straight out of the cash flow statement, but I did some math and uh, essentially figured out you know, they're opening about 100 and 150, 150 stores um, at $300,000 a pop, um, you know, you, and so whittle down how much of that was distribution center, which they did say, and how much of that was new stores. And then the remainder is what I consider maintenance. Um, so I see. Um, a lot of people will say, you know, if you don't know what it is, then just use the whole amount. Well, then they're their valuation would be basically zero, right? If because they would have no cash flow. So, uh, I you know I had to do some, you know, and I I think I wasn't being overly, um, I was being relatively conservative, I would say, with it. So, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the capex, um, you know, for the past few years on distribution channels or distribution distribution centers. How do you think about that and reconcile that with what you said about e-commerce as a strategy for this company? Yeah, I mean, or I I don't know if rather, the, I don't know where the distribution centers play into the e-commerce part of it. This is mostly to funnel stuff to their stores, and you know, I, I want to say that their distribution centers are in places like um, Mississippi, Georgia, and um, New Jersey. I'm, I'm I may be wrong on those. Uh, I know there's there the new one is in Georgia, but um, you know the the geographic distribution of these is more in the east. Um, and so I wonder in the future if they're going to need to open them up, uh, you know, to uh, put them in the more in the Midwest, you know, to sur- and and the West when they start expanding into the Western uh, markets. So, uh, but I, I I don't pay attention a lot to that stuff. Um, I don't know that it really 
it's not a competitive strength. It's not a competitive disadvantage. I just, it's a distribution center and that's all I think about, you know, with sure. it. It's also something that, uh, for me at least, I just immediately went on to distribution centers equals e-commerce, but certainly not the case. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to next question, next set of questions, which is all about, which is all about management. And you said uh, before we started this podcast that there wasn't anything you know, particularly outstanding about management in terms of any issues, any you know management issues. But you also said that they touted their management background and their track record as one of the one of the competitive advantages for the company. So if you could spend some time talking about the management here, all right? Yeah. So they you know they cite their CEO um, that had a uh, had a um, you know, a background in retail for the last 20, 25 years, you know, it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like, I don't know how much of that is, is really all that beneficial and how much of that is just your, um, trying to put, you know, a good spin on it. Right. Like in, in some ways the executive here management team doesn't really matter all that much. Right. In other ways, it matters, you know, their merchandising person, I would say, has a bigger impact on this store than the chief executive, right? And I know that's sacrilege to a lot of people because, oh, he's the CEO. That's the biggest, you know, there are a lot of businesses that the CEO is just there to run the ship, right? It's basically just to make executive decisions. Um, and when you look at it, the incentivization structure that they have is around operating income, about 75% of the CEO's pay is based on operating or his bonus. And the other 25% is based on revenue. Um, and so, you know, it, it's conceivable, right? I, I mean, this is a good thing, I would say, that they're focusing on operating income. Um, and then some of their merchandising officers are based on inventory turnover. So they want them to, you know, high turnover leads to more sales, more sales lead to better uh, cash conversion and you know that kind of stuff. So what what do I think of all of that? I don't have any strong sense that they're you know doing a bad job. Obviously, a high return on capital is a great thing. Um, I'm also not entirely sure that the management is the sole reason that that is the case, right? Um, sometimes you know the business itself is um, is so good that even an idiot can run it, right? And some, and as Warren Buffett says, uh, you would want a business that an idiot can run because one day an idiot will run it, right? And so, um, I don't know that they're necessarily like the competitive advantage for this company is their executive team, but just as a as just as a you know something to think about. I don't see this as there's no red flags here. There's also they're doing the things that I would expect a retail store to have, you know, high, heavy, uh, operating income and some revenue, right? That's, that's kind of the normal incentive structure. Great. Anything else you want to talk about in terms of management before we move on to valuation? So not really. I, I mean, I, they, they don't have, um, a heavy buyback program. It's pretty small. There's no dividends, and they've said that they don't plan on paying dividends. I would expect a growth company to not do that, uh, right? They want to be growing, so they they want to be putting all of their money back into the business. Um, as far as taking on the debt, 
I'm not entirely sure that that was necessary. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, focus here. If you think about it from the incentive structure, right? Um, if if I'm incentivizing you, Becco, I'm the board chairman of the board, and I set your compensation based on, uh, you know, net income, or sorry, operating income, right? And revenue. Well, then if you load up on debt so that you can buy, you know, expand the business very quickly, well, then you could increase revenue and you could increase operating income, right? But what you may not be doing is increasing net income because the interest and taxes occur after operating income, right? So your focus may not be on um, unlevered, you know, uh, growth of the of the capital, right? Of of income. Uh, so I, I'm always like when I look at their their free cash flow, it's it's still lower than the three times free cash flow number that I'm comfortable with, right? They're at 950 million free cash flow is kind of, you know, around 120, 130. It's not great. So, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with it, right? I, I would like to see more free cash flow, uh, in a business like this. And I understand, um, as a growth business, you're going to see a lot less than you expect. And you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, a revenue base that's been growing at 20% and an equity base that's been growing at 20%. So that's kind of where, you know, all of the money is being funneled to and it, it may just look more anemic than it actually is, right? Like if they stopped the growth initiative, that free cash flow number would balloon. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the valuation. Uh, so the question is... Is there a margin of safety? All these questions we'll, we'll talk about that after you kind of walk us through your valuation assumptions and your analysis. Yeah. So my initial cash flow that I picked up with, picked off with was 120 million. So I, I said that they had 175 million in net income. I took out around 55 million as maintenance capex. And I assumed that they had a growth rate of 20% for the first five years and 10% for the next uh, five after that. Um, you know, they've been growing around 22%, 23%, um, you know, at, at, you know, for a, for a good while. Um, so that, that number is a little bit, um, you know, I, I think it's sustainable. Um, it's not necessarily conservative, but I think it is sustainable. Um, you, I could even hear an argument for 22, 23%, but I picked 20. Um, my discount rate is always 10%. And, you know, I, I set a margin of safety of 50%. So that is, that is kind of my base case, right? My conservative case. And I came up with an intrinsic value of $67, $68 and margin of safety price of 34 bucks. Um, they're trading in the eighties right now. Um, so you know, I, I think they're too expensive. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, you know, it, it, it is conceivable that you could use a, a higher, uh, number, um, for their, uh, growth rate, uh, for their growth rate and a higher number for their, their cash flow. So I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to assume that, um, their net income is, is actually their cash flow. 
um, and I can get a margin of safety price of $50 with the same growth rate. So, you know, it's, it, it's obviously you can easily uh, lull yourself into thinking, oh, well, if I just play with this and I play with that, I'll get a better, um, you know, I, I don't think that's unreasonable to say that, that it's hard to measure what their actual cash flow is because of, you know, you're pulling money into uh, expanding your stores, you're pulling money into this distribution center, you're pulling money into other places. Um, so it, it all just depends on your assumptions, right? And I think if we, if this price, you know, if you, if you came to me and said, you know, this is company's $50 a share, they've got a great growth rate, they've got a great um, return on capital, I would be comfortable with saying, yeah, $50 a share is reasonable, right? Um, but it's hard for me to justify it with, um, uh, in the, you know, in the $80 price range, right? I, I, there's just not enough margin of safety there for me to, to make it a reasonable, um, price. Yeah. And also I think maybe, you know, we have to, we have to also, also always think about valuation in terms of the risk, but also in terms of the competitive advantage, right? So we talked about in the first episode, if there was a sustainable competitive advantage that you would kind of, you know, have that in mind when you go into the valuation, perhaps, perhaps you could uh, hear an argument for buying a, a company that is expensive above the intrinsic value that you came up with, right? If, if there was a, a moat that was impenetrable, for example. Right. But, uh, you know, this is something that we, at, at least you and I, didn't really come to, couldn't really articulate the competitive advantage, sustainable competitive advantage here. And therefore, when we go into valuation, we need to take that into account when we think about what is the intrinsic value and what is the price, price point at which we'd be comfortable purchasing this. Yeah, and I, what I would say is in Q2, Q2 is going to look really ugly for them, right? It's going to be a huge negative number. And I'd be curious to see, um, you know, what, what does Wall Street do with it, right? Do they just shrug it off and say, oh, it's a one-time thing? Um, does it dip? And, you know, I would pay attention because I think there is potentially a buying opportunity here. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's like um, Benjamin Graham always said, um, you know, the margin of, say, you know, the Mr. Market all is, is just a quoting machine, right? They're going to give you a price and you can ask a price every day and it's your decision whether to do something about it or do nothing, right? And uh, as value investors, 99.99999% of the time, we're doing nothing, right? We're just going to look at the price and say it's too expensive. Um, and so when you find a business like this, I think there's there's definitely a price point at which I would say this is a great business to own for a long period of time. Um, I just don't think it is right now. Um, and you know, if you're lucky enough to get it uh, under the $50 share price point, I would say it's uh, very well worth looking into, but um, at eighty dollars a share, I don't think it is. So, I am actually a little surprised that you said that you you know it's a company that is worth owning for a long time. Um, I I think there is, you know, it, obviously you would need to look at that return on capital over time, right? And I would I am worried about their capital allocation that they've done with the debt. 
right? I think too many businesses are going after cheap debt right now, and that that is going to hurt them, right? And especially now that they're going to have to load up on additional debt just to maintain payroll and maintain other things until the economy improves. <clears throat> this company is not at risk right now, right? I don't think that that's going to be a problem. But if they continue to make load up on more debt, I would be concerned, right? But a high return on capital is a thing, right? It is an important uh, concept. Um, they are able to, you know, do a pretty good job with the money that they have. Um, if they invest this money wisely and they expand their store base wisely, and they are, I, I would much rather that they have been conservative with that capital instead of using nine hundred million dollars in debt. Um, if they just expanded organic, you know, with, you know, from cash flow, um, but you know, th this is how companies operate in this day and age. So, um, you know, we, we can always pass, right? We don't have to look at it. Um, so, sure. so I think that the real thing here is what is it going to look like in Q2 of 2020? And that's going to tell us a lot about this business. Yeah. Return on capital, um, and the debt question, uh, the competitive advantage question. Yeah. As we discussed in the first episode, we kind of came to the conclusion that brand is definitely there, uh, competitive advantage wise. Numerically, we talked about return on return on uh, invest return on capital, and it was pretty impressive. But qualitatively, discussing uh, discussing through various types of competitive advantage, brand network effects, switching costs, low cost, intangible assets, we're able to articulate some things around brand. Um, so, if you guys have ideas about why. This business is able to generate that 20, 21%, you said? 21%? 23 almost. 23% that we didn't touch on, we couldn't articulate. Please do so. Email us, uh, leave us comments, uh, things like that. All right. Uh, anything else you want to mention in terms of valuation before we close out this episode, Hari? Um, no, I, I mean, I, 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 I picked a growth rate of 20%. Um, it is obviously not going to be 20% this year. So, um, you know, that, that I'm, I'm pretending in a lot of ways that this year doesn't matter, um, you know, it, for their long-term prospects. Um, and I may be wrong on that too. So, you know, I, I think we're all, you know, the problem with a business like this is that, um, they're a non-essential, you know, kind of entity. And so it's going to be hard to really judge. So, you know, the answer can also be no, right? And just move on and look at other businesses. Um, and right now that's where I'm at, right? I, I, I like the business. I'm going to put it on a watch list, but I'm not going to be, you know, I, I need to have a good margin of safety and I don't have it right now. So. Great. Um, awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for going through that. Um, and thank you. Um, for suggesting us this company to look into for this episode and the previous episode. If you guys have a company that you guys have in mind, always email us at info at valueinvestor.org. We'll try to get to them as soon as possible. And uh, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, Slack channel is available for us and for you guys. If you guys would like to talk to us directly or exchange ideas and information amongst the group, uh, uh, you're welcome to join our Slack community by emailing us at info at valueinvestor.org. And also the checklist, if you guys want a copy of this checklist, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org as well.
All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. I hope you guys uh, stay safe and uh, hope to uh, see you guys in the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.